Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome to another edition of Weekend Ag Matters here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. We've got a great program lined up for you today. Coming up in segment two, Riley Smith talks with Landis Cooperative CEO Matt Carsons about a new opening that they had in Des Moines. Also, I had a chance to attend the Public Utilities Board meeting earlier this week, and I got to hear from people who are against the CO2 sequestration pipelines that are proposed to cross the state. We hear that coming up in Segment 3, but we'll also have Russ Parker come up for you later on, but let's start with a few of the headlines we watched. Republican lawmakers are demanding the Biden administration waive import duties on fertilizer from Morocco and Trinidad and Tobago. The Biden administration has placed duties on fertilizer imports of phosphate fertilizer products from Morocco and is working on new duties on urea ammonium nitrate fertilizer from Trinidad and Tobago. Led by Senator Roger Marshall and Representative Tracy Mann of Kansas, a group of Republicans made the demand in a letter to the president stating that the bottom line is that fertilizer is critical for national security and national defense. In June, the administration, using emergency authority, issued a proclamation titled The Declaration of Emergency and Authorization for Temporary Extensions of Time and Duty-Free Importation of Solar Cells and Modules from Southeast Asia. This decision waived countervailing duties and anti-dumping duties for solar panels. President Biden's emergency justifications for this proclamation are also applicable to fertilizer, according to the letter, which directly impacts food prices more than any emergency concerning solar panels. Times are challenging for beef cattle producers this year, and producers are finding themselves trapped by a challenging environment with various headwinds impacting not only production, but profitability too. Daryl Peel is a livestock market economist and talks about the outlook for the third and fourth quarters of 2022. Well, we're going to continue to see the general trend we have. There's obviously competing forces at work here. These supply fundamentals are going to get more supportive as we go through the year. That would tend to push them up. Obviously, on the other hand, we've got uh, consumer issues on the demand side, inflationary impacts that may limit uh, beef demand more so in the future than it has thus far. So I think we have to kind of wait and see. The bottom line is I don't expect the cattle prices to, to go down and they certainly have the potential to go higher. Peel mentioned that higher cattle prices do not guarantee that ranchers will be more profitable due to higher input costs, and many producers are uncertain of their profitability. Absolutely. I think profitability is very much a question mark for many producers. The input cost increases in many cases are moving faster than the cattle prices have moved up at this point in time. Now, I think at some point in time, as these numbers do tighten up and sort of all of the supply fundamentals get lined up and kind of all get on the same page, then we're going to have a a little more concerted uh, push for higher cattle prices. Not sure that happens in 2022. It should start to build as we move into 2023. But as beef demand goes, Peel says there has not been a decrease so far. You can find all our stories online at iowaagnet.com. I'll see you back at segment three. But for right now, let's kick things over to Russ Parker with his message for the week. Recently, we had new shingles put on our house, including a complete tear-off of the old shingles. We also had some siding and some fascia repaired, the result of high winds from early this year. As part of the process, both of the satellite dishes, TV and internet, had to be removed from the roof and then were put back in place. But here's the thing. 
When the original mounting holes are covered with new shingles, it's almost impossible to put those dishes in exactly the same place. And as most of us know, a satellite dish could not be pointed in a general direction of the satellite. It has to be pointed exactly in the right spot. It got me thinking about what else requires to be pointed in exactly the right direction. So I came up with a few examples. You can't put a scope on a rifle barrel and expect to hit a target 300 yards away on the first shot. Perfect adjustment and alignment is necessary. And you just can't put your hand on the car steering wheel at the 12 o'clock position and expect the vehicle to go down the interstate without some kind of constant adjustment to keep the car between the lines. And even taking a simple picture, if you want to get the object in the photo, you've got to adjust and fine-tune the camera to make that happen. And then there's kind of a conceptual idea of taking aim on achieving goals. Wow, talking about sighting things in and getting things to come out the way you want. This idea is a whole different mindset and takes a lot of planning, goal setting, and perseverance. All components of taking careful aim. And of course, we're all aware of some miracles on this topic as well, commonly called dumb luck. But in the all in all, there is a specific and defined process to obtain a desired result. And if we don't follow all the instructions and stay pointed in exactly the right direction, the likely result of our aim will be a miss. Boy, am I sure thankful it's not like that in my spiritual journey. I can reach my arms out in any direction and know that God is everywhere. No need to aim or fine-tune anything to get his full power. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that puts the wraps on segment one here of Weekend Ag Matters. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, Riley Smith talks with the folks at Landis Cooperative. Stay tuned. This is Weekend Ag Matters. July is National Grilling Month, and with summer in full swing and temperatures rising, what better way to celebrate it than beside the grill? Just think about all the tasty meat you can grill, from pork chops to tenderloins to my personal favorite, a juicy ribeye steak cooked to perfection, of course. Don't forget the many ways you can grill your meat as well, so take some time, buy some extra meat, and experiment different styles, cuts, and seasonings to find the best way that works for you and your family. Now is a perfect time to make your way down to a local grocery store near you to purchase some of those tasty meats to grill. By purchasing the meat, not only are you supporting your local store, but you're also supporting your livestock producers. Iowa ranks in the top five states for beef production, is number one in pork production, and is the number one chicken producer. Who wouldn't want to grill some Iowa meat after that? As you grill this summer, be sure to thank a livestock producer for helping put this meat from farm to grill. This message is brought to you by your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, we are out here at the grand opening, the ribbon cutting ceremony for this innovation connector out here at the Landis facility in Des Moines. Uh, great ceremony going on, lots of great things to talk about. So first off, let's just discuss this innovation connector and, and what it'll do for agriculture in Iowa. 
Yeah, Riley, thanks for being here. It's a special day for, for Landis and all of our farmer owners employees because this is really about changing the game. I thought Secretary Nag did a great job at setting the stage of uh, change is what agriculture is about, right? And it's how we address that change that matters. And the key to this is getting the farmer back in the center or maybe even at the center for the first time of the topic of innovation, whether it's technologies, products, practices, services. There's so much going on and so much more that probably could be done. And it's time for, for agriculture to create an environment. I don't think of a, of a better place than in the heart of our biggest uh, populated area here, close to the airport, that allows our farmers to get pure access to some of, of the best minds that are out there and give that feedback and talk through what they're seeing, why they're seeing it, how it's important, and where we go from here. And I, if, if, a, if a farmer-owned cooperative is not the best place in Iowa to do that, I don't know who is. So we're going to take that chance and, and see how this goes. Exactly. And I bet the first word that many people coming in here thought was, it's modern. It's modern. It's different from what we're used to seeing. And, you know, like you guys were saying earlier, different is what we need. Change is what we need. So, you know, how is this helping us embrace change and what changes could we possibly see that come as a result of this innovation connector? Well, I think the big I think the biggest change will be twofold. One is that piece of what is possible. And as farmers think about their investments today, a year from now, five years from now, they can think about things they've seen here or heard others talk about here, and they get to gravitate to what is important to them that they see at, at an event like this. So I think that piece of change in putting them again in that center to provide feedback and help them start adjusting things that they need to be doing for the future is step one. Step two is how we talk about the consumer and how we bring them into the discussion and start bridging to the future where a farmer and a consumer can really interact. It may not be as, as interactive as this is, but, but in a way where there's data and there's dialogue and there's, there's a discussion that helps consumers and farmers come together in a way that really is about fuel and feed and, and food that, that's important in this journey that we're all in. This, this thing of a divide between the two just has to stop. We've got to find that path, and I think a place where we're talking about innovations, talking about things that help make that change is a good starting point. Yeah, something I, I really liked from that panel discussion was it's not just education, it's a conversation. You know, we can't just be one-sided and tell people what we think. They have to give that feedback back to us, and then we can all learn together and just grow together. So, you know, how will we kind of continue those conversations through here? And, you know, of course, with media, we're acutely aware of, you know, sometimes that conversation can be a little tough to have. Well, it, it can, but it is about that dialogue. But the dialogue starts with action, right? The, the action that was taken that creates a more transparent dialogue that's backed by data, backed by the results, this is where agriculture has to go. And, and I believe we're absolutely on a path as society to, to find that common ground with things like social media and media as, as a whole. We can do that, but it takes a co-op owned by farmers to go, we're going to do something different. We're going to try a different game here and, and see what the results are. I don't think this will be perfect. I think we got our own bumps and bruises to go through here. But our farmers, our employees, our board of directors has said, we're willing. We've got to try. And, and here we sit in a place to, to really make that change. Yeah, let's uh, touch on the location as well. You know, we're in downtown Des Moines, have this agricultural facility. And like you said, not an area that you necessarily thought right away that you would end up in. So, you know, how important is this location? You know, we're in an urban setting, 
bringing agriculture to the people who might not know as much about it. Yeah, it's funny when my wife Shand and I you know, talked about you know would Des Moines be a possibility? And then Mary Harrington um, and, and, and and now Ben Nary Ben Dixon, I should say, and and others came together and were like, this is possible, you know. And and the logic was really simple. To do this, you've got to make it accessible, not just for all of our farmers. You know, just putting a rural area on the map and going, that's what we're going to do, like we did a year ago in Ralston. Although that's a point and a, a dot on the map, there's no issue with that. But we also have to think about those that want to come here. Five of, of the 10 or 12 or so uh, partners here today flew in today and set up, got on a commercial airplane, landed at the airport, and got here and made it happen. And that's a lot harder to do when you're two, three hours out in the middle of, of rural Iowa to go do that. So. It was really powerful how it came, starting with you know, a discussion with, with my wife Shanda to bringing in uh, Mary and, and Molly Toot and coming down here to see it uh, through the assistance of, of the city of Des Moines that, that actually gave us the confidence to say, I think this is possible. And for the right reasons is they talk to folks like Apple or Google or Amazon and, and, and other uh, groups like the, the, the corridor that's here for the agriculture community all going, we can do this. We can come together and create something really special. So I think there's no better place, although I know I've got some of our farmer owners going, I'm not sure I'm quite bought in yet. Um, you know, as we've said, let's all suspend disbelief until you're down here. You have the opportunity to, to see this, be a part of it. We had a bunch of our uh, employees here yesterday from one of our locations. And one of their most memorable comments to me was, it's not too hard to get here. I mean, it is six lane the whole way in. You know, so it's not like you're having to drive downtown Des Moines on a one-way. Although you can see it from here, you don't have to really participate in that. It's easy to get here, and we, we took that into consideration when finding this location. Right, and we know in agriculture that change can be a scary thing sometimes. And, and a lot of us, while we know that the old ways are good, those new ways, you know, can bring a lot to the table as well. So what are some of the things that maybe we can expect, you know, specifically from this innovation connector? You know, I'm talking technology that we can see in there. We've got plenty of great displays in there, uh, lots of great partnerships. So, you know, what could we see in the near future? Well, I, I think the sky's the limit. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be even doing it justice to try to guess what we'll see because even coming out of, of Ralston and when we had this there, companies like Google, companies like uh, different drone companies. There's so much opportunity out there. So what, what they should expect to see is a wide lens that ranges from technology to products, practices, services, covering the whole gamut. We want to make sure that, that a farmer can come here and see a wide lens and let them decide for their farming operation what's right, where they want to go, not tell them it's one set thing. You know, and I get frustrated on this topic of carbon and sustainability as we all go right down the road of cover crops. Although I'll be the first to admit, cover crops are an important tool in that toolbox, but that may not fit for every farm. So we want to make sure we're giving them the widest lens of major companies that are now looking at agriculture in an interesting way, all the way through a startup that's going, we just need a chance. We need connect to farmers, help us find some funding. And those are things that, that land us as the connector to our farmers and connecting to VCs, other companies um, like Midwest Growth Partners is here today. We want to make sure we're connecting everyone in this journey to be successful. Right. So, you know, if someone wants to kind of learn more on how to use this connector and, and maybe take advantage of some of those opportunities that you are providing, you know, how could they how could they do that? Where would they start that search? 
Yeah, I would say the, the first is to get on the website, and we've, we'll have a link that, that directs them to a place where they can get involved. But this goes for community members, schools, going to, to Des Moines to see the Science Center, which is only blocks away. Even some of our companies like Principal Financial Group or uh, Nationwide Insurance, we're all in this together. We're all a part of food, fuel, fiber, rural, urban. So we want to make sure we've got that access. So get on to, uh, to the Google Landis Cooperative, and it'll take you to our website, and, uh, and there'll be some linkage that we'll put on there to help people get in touch and how they can use this space. All right, Matt. Well, it was great talking with you today. Awesome facility here, and, and we wish you the best of luck moving forward, and we look forward to you know, covering more of the news that comes from this. Thanks so much for you all being here. You're a big part of, of, of our agriculture community and what we do in, in ag, so uh, particularly ag retail. So thank you. That again was Landis President and CEO Matt Carstens. And that wraps up segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin Huffman will wrap it up. This is Weekend Ag Matters. What's your idea of fun? Spinning on the crazy mouse or plummeting down the giant slide? Whatever it is, find your fun at the Iowa State Fair. 11 days of smiles, thrills, music, and yums. Save now with pre-fair discounts on thrill park passes. Visit iowastatefair.org for these deals and a full schedule of free entertainment and grandstand shows. Nothing compares to the fun you'll find at the Iowa State Fair, August 11th through 21st. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. You've heard us talk in the past about the CO2 sequestration pipelines that are planned to go around the state. Now, we've heard about what their plans are for sequestering carbon and how they're supposed to work and how they can have partnerships with ethanol companies to remove some of that carbon dioxide waste. However, not everybody's on board with the plan. On Tuesday, the Iowa Utilities Board met in regular session, and the Sierra Club chapter of Iowa was there holding a demonstration and having people testify against the CO2 pipelines at the meeting. Jessica Mazur is the Conservation Program Coordinator for the Sierra Club Iowa chapter, and she talks about why it was important to have their voices heard at the Iowa Utilities Board. We are here at the Iowa Utilities Board meeting today because three carbon pipelines are being proposed across the state and it's all loss for Iowans and rewards for the people who profit from these pipelines. These will damage our land, they're an abusive eminent domain, it's a bad use of our public money, and it's not a solution to climate change. And Iowans are coming together, whether we're Republicans or Democrats, um, farmers, rural, urban, we're all coming together because this is wrong for Iowa, and so we're here to tell the Iowa Utilities Board that we don't want these carbon pipelines and it's time to, to send them packing. So what is it about the pipelines that is going to damage the environment? What's the concern you're bringing? Well, carbon pipelines are different than the traditional pipelines we're used to. Um, the carbon pipelines are going to be filled with carbon dioxide, but it's not just the gas that we're used to. It's in the air. It's an industrial form. It's highly concentrated, and they actually have to pressurize it from a gas to a liquid just to be able to pipe it somewhere. So we're talking about um, a substance that's under about 2200 PSI, and when there's a rupture, We've seen in Satarsha, Mississippi, there was a rupture in 2020. There's been test ruptures um, in Europe. We know these are explosive events. And the CO2 is heavier than air, so it will settle on the ground in low-lying areas, and it will displace the oxygen. So if you are in the cloud, you can't breathe, your car's not gonna work because your car requires oxygen to, to drive. 
And we know that that cloud can spread 1,300 feet in under four minutes horizontally. So it's incredibly dangerous, especially when we're talking about rural areas that have volunteer EMS services. Um, it's just, it's, it's not a good thing for us, but these pipeline companies and their owners and investors are gonna make a ton of money. And we, the taxpayers, we're the ones paying for it. Richard McKean is an Emmett County farmer, and he talks about the concerns he has when they come in to put the pipeline in across some of his land. One, we're in the prairie pothole region of Northern Iowa. Um, and drainage is our lifeblood up there. Uh, this will just totally destroy it. In my case, uh, they will be going through someplace between a mile and a quarter and a mile and a half of our farm. And um, the, the damage, I, was, I uh, farmed and was a drainage contractor for years and years. I've put in a lot of tile. Our farm is completely patterned tiled. Uh, all 900 plus acres of it. And um, when you push a trench through, that will settle uh, over years, then your tile doesn't work, and then these companies say, well, that's your problem, we fixed it once. So then we're stuck with thousands and thousands of dollars of repair. Um, the, another thing is they say that this is for public good for eminent domain. You don't build competing super highways. We have one pipeline headed in one direction, another pipeline in another direction. Uh, and then they say that that's for the public good. Uh, they have told the utilities board that they want to um, have um, a permit to sequester. But then they came to our Emmett County Board of Supervisors a couple weeks ago and told them that they were going to build an offload facility at Hartley. Well, if they're building an offload facility, they're not sequestering it. So they tell people what they think they want to hear. Andrew Alexander is a Fremont County farmer who said that his family farm was part of eminent domain procedures when the Dakota Access Pipeline was coming through, and now they're afraid it will happen again. He added that there's already been long-lasting damage to the soil that Dakota Access Pipeline dug up. So that, that process was kind of a, a one-sided process when they came through with eminent domain. Uh, you know, they tried to work with the landowners, uh, but they had it in place what they were going to do, and that's basically what they did. Um, there were a lot of promises that weren't kept with eminent domain, such as we're going to replace your topsoil, we're going to take care of your crops afterwards. Um, they actually mixed the the subsoil with the topsoil when they put it back in. Uh, we've seen that through the crops. If you fly a drone over the crops, you can see exactly where the pipeline is and we're seven years later uh, in terms of that. So, you know, we kind of expect the same thing to happen with this pipeline. There's been a lot of promises, but there's really no follow through. The board heard impassioned testimony from farmers and landowners and stakeholders and even members of boards of supervisors that were against this project. Members of the board, as I said, my name is John Green. I'm a member of the Johnson County Board of Supervisors. We have presently submitted two letters of objection to dockets HLP 2021-1, HLP 2021-3, HLP-2022-2. I will not rehash those remarks here. Instead, I just want to acknowledge this process is a sham. Its outcome is preordained. What is not yet known is how regular Iowans will react to this egregious abuse of the Iowa Code and the Iowa Constitution. I'm here this morning 
to ensure that the record will reflect that these CO2 pipelines are nothing more than greenwashing grift. There will be no public benefit, indeed. The results of these pipelines will be the transfer of public goods to private gain, namely this board's political benefactors. There is another unintended consequence. The abuses of this process is catalyzing an unlikely alliance of opposition. It is my intention to do all that I can in support of this alliance. What is happening here will galvanize opposition to the reckless capture of our state government by private parasitic interests. Thank you and good day. Right after the end of today's event, we got responses from both Summit and Navigator to the comments being made today by the Sierra Club. Summit said the Sierra Club, who's organizing today's event, is opposing carbon capture and storage projects because they want to see the elimination of ethanol, along with more than 44,000 Iowa jobs that the industry supports and the $4.5 billion it contributes to the state's gross domestic product every year. While the Sierra Club may bring a handful of people to the meeting in Des Moines, Summit Carbon Solutions will continue to focus their efforts on partnering with landowners to negotiate voluntary easements. Navigator CO2 put out the following response. They say the Navigator team prides itself on putting forward safe, reliable infrastructure that not only meets but in many capacities exceeds regulatory standards. There's a long list of agencies and entities we'll be consulting with ranging from the U.S. EPA, Army Corps of Engineers and FIMSA, to each state's environmental and sitting agencies, to the local county boards of supervisors and zoning administrators. Additionally, each state's siting and review process is unique, and they'll be working with local regulators in each state to navigate those state-specific processes. Of course, the Iowa Utilities Board reminded everybody in attendance that this testimony today was not going to be entered in as evidence on any of the debate concerning the future of the carbon dioxide sequestration pipelines, and that they still have to file written opposition in the dockets that are available through the Utilities Board. You can find out more on their website. And with that, we come to the end of this week's show. And don't forget, you can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. You can also find replays of this program there as well under the podcast tab. From the IARN studios in Des Moines, I'm Dustin Hoffman. For Riley Smith and Russ Parker, we thank you for joining us. This has been Weekend Ag Matters.